If you're able to remain standing, uh, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 1 for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the word of our Lord. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you administer to us through it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Though we are going to consider several verses this morning, I have one single point that I want to get across to you. And this is it. Those who have seen the light of God through faith in Jesus Christ will live in obedience to Him. That's the point that I want to make this morning. Those who have seen the light of God through Jesus Christ live in obedience to Him. That's what I meant by the title of this sermon, Light Turns into Righteousness. The light of God in our lives will turn into obedience on our parts. And this passage teaches this truth in two parts as we look at it this morning. First, there's the declaration of who God is. God is light. He is perfect in all His characteristics. He is ethically perfect. He is sinless. He is pure. That's all that's involved in God is light. We're going to look at it in more detail in a moment. And secondly, because God is light... That perfection reflects itself in the way that we live. So those are two parts for our sermon today. So let's start with verse 5, where there John says that God is light. He's absolutely perfect without any sin. The, the, this is the first of many contrasts that John is going to make in this short letter. Here, God is light. And in him there's no darkness. For John, there's no gray area. Everything is either this or that. And that will become clear as we go through this short epistle. And light here represents two things. The utter purity of God and the unveiling and purifying effect God has on those who know him. 
So it represents the purity of God. There's nothing, there's no darkness, there's nothing that corrupts Him. He's completely holy and perfect. And that light shines in the universe and in our lives and drives away any darkness that's present in us. Right? Physically, light and darkness don't coexist because darkness is the absence of light. And if light's present, then darkness cannot be present at the same time. And if saying that God is light is not enough, John says that there is no darkness at all in Him. It, it, you know, it's obvious from the following verses that darkness is the meta, a metaphor for sin and could be extended to anything that's opposed to God or not for God. That's what darkness is. Anything that's opposed to God, but even more than that, anything that's not for God. Because again, in John, there's only two possibilities. You're either for God or you are against God. There's no neutral ground between those two there. So darkness in this context means anything that's contrary to the perfection of God's character. That's not there. God, the God does nothing of that. Darkness is shorthand for all things sinful and nothing, no sin is present with God. It also is a re- darkness is a representation of the absence of God's sanctifying presence. Uh, hell is described as a place of darkness. The place where angels that fell f- from righteousness go is described as a place of darkness, where the sanctifying presence of God is not there. And God, so God is light, and the light of God is ultimately embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in the Gospel of John. He describes, Christ describes himself by seven or eight I am's. And one of them is in John chapter 8, verse 12, where our Savior says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. So we see the light of God. We see that we serve a God who is light. When we look at Jesus Christ, who reveals that light to us in his person. As a side note, it's interesting that people like emphasizing the love of God in John 4, 8. That's where it says God is love and so on. But the holiness of God, which is what John 1, 5 is all about, is not as emphasized. We like the fact that God is love, but the holiness of God and his unwillingness to put up with sin taught in this verse is often forgotten. And yet... Our our God reveals himself as the utterly pure, holy God who does not put up with sin. Now, it's important that we look at verse 5 and see that what John is saying here is not something that he concocted on his own. Look what he says in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John is proclaiming a message that he and the other apostles heard, presumably from Christ himself. He has told us that in John chapter 1, where it tells us that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the light of God. So the message that we are hearing from John is not something that he created on his own. It's not something that he came up with on his own. As opposed to the false teachers that he's combating in this book, he's not speaking off the top of his head. He's telling us what Christ revealed to him and the other apostles. That's the message 
that we have here in 1 John. The God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And those who have entered into fellowship with God, who is light, will walk in the light. That's why he tells us in verses 6 through 2, 2. So John grabs this truth that God is light, and he applies that truth to our lives. And he does that, in, if you read through here, in five if clauses, leading to the proclamation that Jesus Christ stands before the Father, interceding for all of us who believe. So in verses 6 through 10, you're going to find five if clauses. So clauses start with the word if. If then statements. And then you have the last statement in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where Jesus is portrayed, is is put up as that that one that intercedes for us in the sight of God. What John calls us to do is based on God's character. What John wants us to do in these verses is based on who God is. F.F. Bruce says, God is the source and essence of holiness and righteousness, goodness and Truth And the first thing that John tells us is that fellowship excludes darkness. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John says, if we say we have fellowship with God, what does he mean by that? It means this. If we say that we have been redeemed by the Spirit... If we say that we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if we say that we have been declared righteous by the Father, if we say that we have experienced the love of God through Christ in our lives, if we say that the Spirit of God dwells in us and is driving us to Christ, that's all that's involved in fellowship. If we say these things are true of us, which I hope that's true of all of us here this morning, then certain things are going to be true in our lives, the way we live our lives. So John says, if we believe in all these things that I just mentioned, but then don't pay attention to what God says regarding how we live, we're actually lying about the faith we say we have. If we say that we have fellowship with God, and yet that has no demonstration in our lives, we are actually lying concerning what we say we believe The creation has been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's Colossians uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We were, apart from Christ, in darkness, but now we've been placed in the kingdom of God. And because of that, because we're not people of darkness anymore, we don't walk according to darkness. Paul tells us that clearly in Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11. So that being the reality of the Christian then to, to do otherwise, to not live according to the light, to not live according to what God tells us in His Word, is to lie about what we believe. So those, those who live the truth of Christ do the truth of Christ. Those who believe in the truth of Christ do the truth of Christ. That's why it says at the second half of verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The Bible assumes that those who have been redeemed by Christ will practice what he teaches, what it teaches, what the Bible teaches. That's an assumption. It does not point this up to debate. It's just the Bible 
doesn't see any other way. If you believe what in Christ, you're going to also live according to what He does. You're going to practice. You're going to do the truth. That's really the Jesus' expectation of the other authors of the New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount ends that way in Matthew seven. In verse 24, Jesus is approaching the, the end of the sermon. He's bringing everything together. And he finishes the sermon this way. He says there in Matthew seven twenty-four. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine. And then what does he say? And does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall." What's the difference between these two, these two houses? There's no difference in the house itself. They're built exactly the same. If you look at a picture of them, they look exactly the same. But the foundation is the difference. And here, in, at least in Matthew 7, the foundation is your view of the Word of God and how you're going to live out the things that it teaches if you're just hearing what God says, you hear the sermons, you read the Bible, and yet it has no impact on how you live, you're like the foolish man who built his house on the sandy riverbed. That's the idea here. And when the pressures of life, that's what the storms are, the pressures of life come and squeeze your heart and make your heart reveal what's inside of it, it's, well, all that comes out is destruction. If you're only a hearer, but not a doer of God's word. It's interesting that the Great Commission is not... Remember what the Great Commission is? Jesus tells the church to go to all nations and to make disciples of all, every nation by doing two things, baptizing them, that is, in introducing them to Christ, and then doing what? Teaching them to know all the Bible says. No, it doesn't say that. Teaching them to observe, that is, to do all things that I have commended you. So, how does Jesus des describe his disciple? As one who observes his word. James 1, 1-27 says the same thing. That we, we put off all the filthiness and uh, overflow of wickedness, and we do what we heard from the Word of God. So, John first tells us, because God is light, and we are in fellowship with Him, and in Him there's no darkness at all, then there's no darkness in our lives as well. Fellowship excludes sin. Fellowship excludes darkness. And that's how we are to live. And he continues in verse 7, he says that rather than living in darkness, we live according to God's word. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we live according to God's word, as we walk according to him, we have fellowship with one another. Obedience to God's word results in fellowship with one another. That's the result of it. 
Sin and disobedience separate people. Uh, Paul Tripp, in a book about marriage called uh, What Did You Expect? He says this, he says, Because sin is antisocial, it tends to dehumanize the people in our lives. No longer are they objects of our willing affection. No, they quit being people we find joy in loving. Rather, they get reduced to one of two things. They are either vehicles to help us get what we want or obstacles in the way of what we want. That's what sin does to relationships. There is no fellowship apart from obedience to the Word of God. Obedience unites the people of God. That's what fellowship is, the union of the people of God. And walking in the light is evidence that the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. Now, we tend to think of the blood of Christ saving us, right? That, that first moment we put place in Christ and the faith in Christ and the blood covers our sins. And that's absolutely true. But the blood of Christ is also the means by which God keeps on cleansing us. He's, we keep him being purified by the blood of Christ. But if our lives is not one that is in obedience or harmony with the word of God, we have no reason to think that the blood of Christ is covering our sins. There's no assurance that we are in Christ if our our lives are not in conformity to what the Bible says. And then he continues. It's all based on this declaration that God is light and there's no darkness in him. He says in verse 8 that if you say that you don't sin, then the truth of God doesn't live in you. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Keep, uh, keep on noticing the, uh, how John emphasized the link between obedience and truth. It's very important to him, obedience and truth. Knowing and doing go together in John and in throughout, uh, throughout the scriptures. So he says, if you have no sins, that is, if you say that you currently don't sin, that you have achieved some sort of moral perfection, you are deceiving yourself. Now, we may not say that we are perfect. Uh, we may not say that, right? I don't know any of us here will be willing to, to will stand up and say, I'm there. I'm perfect. But we often say, I'm not perfect. And then what follows? But, which means that we're going to make a statement that will communicate that we do think that we are perfect. Simple test. Look back over the last seven days. Okay? Don't have to do it right now. But look back on the last seven days. Can you identify specific sins that you committed? If you can't, then you may fall into the category of being deceived by your own sin. If you cannot go beyond saying, oh, I'm a sinner in the abstract, and you cannot look back in your life and say, man, I sinned here. And I sin there, and I sin there, and I sin there specifically. Though you may not be saying, I have achieved perfection, you may fall under that category who believes that you have no sin, that you've achieved something. And you might say, but Pastor, why should I be looking at my sin? Because looking, recognizing that you sin, recognize that you still have uh, 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 the leftovers of that nature that uh, fights with what God wants, recognizing that sometimes you know what to do, then you don't, and you know what not to do, and, and you're not doing that. Not having that struggle in your life means that you're never going to be driven to Christ. 
Not knowing that you still have sin in your life, not being able to actually see, oh man, I sin here and I sin there, is is not going to drive you with Paul to say, I thank the Lord for Jesus Christ because there's, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. In order to be able to rejoice in Christ, you need to see your need of Him, even as a believer. And if you say, you know what, yes, I'm a sinner, but you can't really identify anything ever in your life. It's maybe a problem. And it's going to keep you away from actually seeing Jesus Christ in His fullness. One who in speech or in practice denies that he sins, that one does not have the truth in him. He doesn't really believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He is deceived by his own sin into thinking that he does not have to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. He is, the fellowship of the saints is not there. And brothers and sisters, we need the fellowship of the saints. The fellowship of the saints helps us to be aware of sin and and its deceitfulness. Because sin is inherently deceitful. And we are blind to our sins as we saw a few weeks ago from Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 13. It is the others around us that will help us see that. So John says, instead of denying that you sin, instead of denying that it still has leftovers of sin in your life, confess it. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So instead of denying that we sin, we say the same thing about our sin as God does. That's what confession is. We acknowledge that we are sinners. We declare that to God. We acknowledge specific sins in our lives. We turn to God. And confession always implies repentance. We can't confess what we have been convicted of. And repentance is turning from specific sins and turning to God. Repentance is always a turning from evil as defined in the Bible. True repentance will be recognizable in the actions of the repentant sinners. Not in actions in general, but in actions related to the sin being repented of. So true repentance is not uh, you repenting of harsh words. You have sinned against somebody who is close to you by using harsh words. True repentance will demonstrate itself in your effort and endeavor to not use harsh words again. It's not going to show itself by reading your Bible every day. That's good, and you should, but that's not linked to the sin that you're repenting of. So repentance, true repentance, that leads to confession and forgiveness is linked to the sin that you've committed. And repentance is necessary for forgiveness. Repentance will invariably lead to confession. J. Adams, in his book, A Theology of Christian Counseling, says, We often excuse ourselves, rationalize away our guilt, blame others for our sin. Confession is the opposite of all such behavior. It begins with repentance, rethinking all such attitudes, and ends with owning up to one's sin before God and any other whom we have wronged. Repentance focuses on God and is an act of faith. We cannot repent if we don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the beauty of this, is, of this all is this, brothers and sisters. God will always forgive 
his repentant children. Always. This is the kind of parental and sanctifying forgiveness that a child of God experiences when he or she abandons the sin that's still present in his or her life and turns to Christ. That's the kind of repentance and forgiveness that will cause us to be more like Jesus Christ. Confession, true confession, that's rooted in repentance, results in holiness. It results in obedience to God. And then John continues by saying, If you have never sinned, then God is a liar. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you notice uh, that verse 8 and verse 10 seem to be talking about almost the same thing? But there's a a slight difference there. In in verse 8, John says, you are sinning. In verse 10, he changes the tense and says, you have sinned. What he's saying in verse 10 is that if you... So verse 8 says, if you say you're not sinning right now, that you achieved some sort of perfection in your life right now, the truth is not in you. And if you say you have never sinned, then the truth of God is not in you. So that's the difference between 8 and 10, the present and the totality of your life. The problem is that God says you have sinned in belief, thought, word, and deed. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, he says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. And then if we go to verses 10 through 19, Paul goes out of his way to show that everyone is under sin. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus tells us that it's not what goes into us that that uh, corrupts us, but it's what comes out of our heart. And then he lists all the things that come out of our hearts and uh, is uh, an ugly picture. So to deny the very thing that God says about you, about me, is not to have his word in you. If you truly believe that you have never sinned, then you don't know God. At least you don't know the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ. If, if all that you do, and we fall into those patterns in our lives as well as Christians, but if everything you do is to say, no, I've not, it's somebody else's fault, it's not my fault, it's, there's all this explanation why you're a victim, and there's never, you might say, yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect, but you can never own up anything in your life ever. The truth of God is not in you, and you do not know Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I call you to, re- to repent. And to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to faith in Him, to be redeemed by the power of the Spirit. See, brothers, sisters, what John is saying here, that contrary to what the false teachers are saying in the book of John, he's, he's, he's urging us, don't sin. Seriously, work hard at it. Don't sin. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter to because God is light, we as children of God, we will work hard at not sinning. John, as a loving father, you know, he calls them my little children here. That's one word, my little children, or this little children is one, one word. And it explains why he's saying these things to them. He really doesn't want them to sin because it's not good for them. And we, I think uh, there's nothing... Um, 
earth-shattering, that statement. It's not something that you couldn't think of yourself. But sometimes we forget that. Sinning is not good for us. The point that John is making is that Christians work really hard at not sinning. It is a work of God's grace, but it's a work nonetheless. The work We work hard at not sinning because God is working in us. In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for because it is God who is working you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, and in the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel of Luke, I can't remember exactly where, Jesus tells this thing about the servant who served, served his Lord the entire day. And at the end of the day, all he said, he said I've just done what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're created for that. God gives us the grace to do that. And at the end of the day, we say it's all by his grace. It is his spirit working in us that allows us to do that. And John here in, in chapter 2 is making a similar argument as what Paul did in Romans chapter 5 and 6. In Romans 5, Paul ends the chapter by saying this. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he brings the Roman audience to the, to the brink of the precipice of saying, therefore we should never obey because if we sin, more grace shows. And he wanted people of God to kind of come to the brink of that, to be just amazed and by the wonderful grace of God, being amazed by the, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that it doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what we do, if we repent, Christ saves us apart from anything we can do. So Paul brings that to the, the brink and it makes people stare down at that, uh, t- uh, that uh, thought that, oh, so I might as well just sin, so that grace may abound. And then he yanks them back in chapter 6 by saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Well, if, if gra- the grace of God is displayed in our sin, so let's sin so that we can see more grace. And Paul says, no. If that's where you are, if that's how you think of the grace of God, you miss the point. He says, certainly not. How shall we How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? God's amazing grace should never be used as an excuse for sin or for lack of obedience. Yet when we sin, we're not out of hope. We have an advocate. We have an intercessor. We have somebody pleading with the Father for for us. Look at uh, verse 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not all for ours only, but also for the whole world. Christ stands before God. He is our propitiation. We'll come back to this idea in two weeks, but for now, know that Christ's offering of himself is always before God the Father, to cover all your offenses. It's the, he's there. He's saying, God, forgive this child of mine. Father, forgive this child of mine. Father, forgive this child of mine. So when you sin, you don't try to deal with it on your own. You don't try to hide it. You don't pretend that you didn't sin. You don't pretend that you don't sin. You turn to God through Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't sin, John says. But if you do, that's not the end of hope. 
Christ still loves you. Christ still receives you. Christ is still interceding for you as you turn to him. Brothers and sisters, Christ has redeemed you so that you can walk according to the light of his world, His word. That is his will for your life. And we all wanted to find what God's will for our lives. His will for your life is that you walk according to his word. You have been freed to follow him. And when you forget that, that you forget that you've been freed to follow him and then sin, then Christ is right there to forgive you and set you back on the way of life. So take heed to John. Don't sin. But if you do, Christ is there. And he picks you up and puts you upon a rock and gives you a new song and continues to use you for his glory. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle John and thank you for this little letter of him, of his. Enable us to be people who are walking in light and that darkness will be not following us. And when it is, that we'd repent of it, knowing that our Savior stands before you, pleading for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.